it's a wonderful privilege to be able to share with you again, um, whether you are tuning in in the morning, the afternoon, maybe you're at home alone, maybe you're sitting together with uh, Liberty community members and family, uh, perhaps you're listening to this on a podcast, maybe you're listening to this in several years time. Um, wherever you are, whenever you are, um, it's a wonderful privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Um, before I do that, I really would love to pray and uh, ask that that God would speak and God would do something in our hearts. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity of being able to engage with your word. And I pray that it would be your word, that it wouldn't just be me speaking, sharing my ideas. But I pray, Lord, that wherever and whenever people are uh, listening to this, that you would ignite something in their hearts, that you would make your word come alive, that you would speak your very person, your very words resonating in our hearts and in our minds. Thank you, Lord, that this is not about me, but that this is about you. So please open our hearts, help us to have attentive minds, um, help us to engage with you your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Glenn uh, shared on uh, the Holy Spirit and things that we should not be doing, um, such as quenching the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. Um, but he also spoke about uh, four passages of Scripture on things that we should be doing, commands that relate to the Holy Spirit. And so I want to talk about one of those uh, verses that he mentioned today, and that comes from Ephesians chapter five. Now, I I I think that Ephesians is probably the book of the Bible um, from which God has spoken the most to me about. It just feels like when I read Ephesians, things come alive, um, and it's like whoa. And so Ephesians chapters one, two, three. Um, it seems that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Ephesus, is at great pains to show where they've come from and what God has brought them into, to show who they used to be and who God has made them to be now. Right? He says, you were dead, but now in Christ Jesus you've been made alive. You were far away, but now in Christ Jesus you've been brought near. You were in darkness, but now you are light. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, free gift, we have uh, this invitation to be brought back to God and experience all the life that God intended for us as human beings. Because when we go back right into the beginning, because God made humans good and then because humankind chose sin, corruption and death was brought into the human race. And so we are alive, but we're dead. We're kind of this weird zombie um, kind of race where we're alive, but actually we're dead. Spiritually and truly, we are dead and corrupted and twisted. 
But now because of Christ Jesus, we've been made alive again. We were so far away now because of Christ Jesus and his death and resurrection. If we put our faith into him, we get to be brought near to him. Not because of anything good we've done or clever that we've done. Just because God is gracious and loving and gave us that invitation. And by his grace, we've been able to respond to that. That's amazing. And so Paul is saying, we are new humans. We're new humans. What does it mean to live as new humans in this time? So if, if I was to give a title to what I'm talking about today, it would be, how do we live as new humans? We're, we're new humans. How do we live? Um, and so Ephesians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 15 to 21 is what I want to talk about. And Paul starts off and he says, Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. If I was to say to you, look carefully then how you drive, you would know that then means that there's some kind of a condition, a precursor that means we need to respond. Um, So look carefully then how you drive because uh, they've put cameras up and they're trapping um, or look carefully then how you drive because there's uh, new traffic uh, officers who are new traffic laws new uh, ways of doing things on the road whatever it is there's a sense in which we need to make some adjustments and so paul says look carefully then how you walk now he's not talking about a physical walk and a gait and he's talking about uh, how you live Right, the walk of life. Look carefully then as new humans, because remember you were dead, now you're alive. You were far away from God, you've been brought near. You were in darkness, now you're in light. Look carefully then how you walk. I sometimes, over the years, I have absolutely relished, reveled in, delighted in uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Um, And just marveled at how good God is in this new life that he's given me. But there's there's the occasional time where I will just realize that something must change. There must be implications. How do I do this? How do I live this life? Thank you, God, for this new life. This is not a ticket to heaven. And I'm just going to hang out here and try and enjoy as much of life as possible and wait to go to heaven. It seems to me that chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is pressing on Christians, us, believers, people of faith, new humans, pressing on us to live, not holding on to a ticket and waiting, but to actually be and do and go out. And, and so how do, we, how do we do this? Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so what Paul is going to start here is taking Three comparisons, juxtapositions, three things that he's going to contrast. Don't do this, but do this. Don't do that, but do this. Don't do this, do that. Three things. And I don't think that they're little passing moments, little throw, throw them out and you know, just give some examples. I think he's chosen these things specifically. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Are those three contrasting things that Paul talks about. Don't do this, but do that. And I want us to engage with those. If you are um, 
watching this, listening to this together with people of faith, I would love for you to talk with them afterwards and pray together afterwards and say, God, how do I engage with this? What must I do? How do I do this? And so the first pair that he mentions is, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, he's not saying, don't be stupid, be smart. I have two colleagues that I work with, um, they're scientists, and they blow my mind at how smart they are. Incredible. Nice people, really smart. That's not what Paul's talking about here. So he doesn't say, be clever. He says, be wise, making the best use of the time. Now, every A-type personality is saying, yeah, let's get stuff done. Let's talk about productivity. Let's like, yes, let's get up early and go to bed late and tick boxes and woo. And then and there's some of us who might be going, oh, no, more things I have to do. But again, he's not talking about productivity. Look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. What does that look like? Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Oh, this is not just about productivity. This is about understanding the time in which you live. And the days are evil. The days were evil when Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus. And they have continued to be evil. And we are still living in evil days. And they will remain evil days until such time as Jesus returns and makes all things new. Look forward to that day. That's going to be a great day. And so then the times we're living in now is kind of the overlap of the ages where Jesus has come and has inaugurated the, the kingdom of God, but we're still living in evil days. And so there's, there's the kingdom and, of God and there's kingdom of evil and and we live in, in the mixture of the two. And so we need to be wise, making full use of the time. Now, I think perhaps that's got to do with two things. One, if I understand that the days are evil, I need to live wisely so that that evil doesn't affect my life. Because remember, I'm a new human. I was dead. Now I'm alive. You were dead. And if you put your faith in Christ, you've been made alive. Not by anything you've done. It's a gift of God. And so then be wise at how you live so that that evil, that death, that darkness, that old doesn't get to encroach on you and drag you back into that old way of being human. At the same time, the days are evil and you have newness of life. We have light. We have so much to offer. Go out and bring righteousness and justice. Bring light. Bring truth. Bring justice. Make things right in your world around you. Bring the love and the life of God. Make full use of the time because you know that the days are evil. That is wisdom. Chapter 5 verse 17. Second pairing. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. First thing I'd like to mention is that depending on your upbringing, depending on your experience of church, faith traditions, etc., 
what we understand by the will of God may vary quite a bit from person to person. It would seem to me that many of us believe the will of God to mean something very specific that God has for my life. Right? We ask the question of, what is the will of God for my life? Which many times would seem to mean people are asking, where does God want me to live? What job does he want me to do? Who does he want me to marry? Does he want me to have children? Should I be single? And it even gets more and more detailed. What car I should have, and we can push it to the extreme. So, you know, what should I wear today? Which route should I be driving in my car, etc.? What is the will of God? I do believe that God sometimes guides people specifically. I do believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us if we've put our faith in Jesus, that we can have an active relationship with him, that he's able to speak specifically and prompt us. I do also believe that different people have different relationships with God. God is God. He is allowed to do what he wants and he can have different relationships with different people if he wants to. But I'm not so sure that Paul is, has that in mind here. He says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Not perceive, discern, figure out, does God want me to turn left or does he want me to turn right? I think what he's saying here is that we can come to an understanding of the general will of God for us living as new humans. God has given us his word, which is full of his will. For example, 1 Thessalonians, it is the will of God that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's the will of God, plain and simple. I can find many things that are the will of God, God's guiding light and parameters for my life. The way for me to live as a new human, that I don't go back into the old darkness, that I don't go back into the death, but I get to experience this new life. Now, very briefly, I just want to mention this. Some of us really struggle with rules. Some of us love rules and are quite happy to have rules for the sake of rules because that makes us feel good, safe, in control, whatever it is. And some of us like to kick against rules simply for the sake of it. And I think both extremes are unnecessary and unhelpful. Let me use an example. I have children, and so there are rules in my house, not for the sake of having rules. And granted, as a sinful parent, I could make rules from selfish, sinful motivation. By and large, I feel that my goal as a parent is to put rules down for the flourishing of my children, right? We go to bed at a certain time because I know if you go to bed too late the next day, you are super grumpy and it's generally not a nice day. You can't think properly. You can't interact properly. It doesn't lead to your general well-being. And there are some rules like maybe this cupboard is full of the sharp, dangerous things. That's off boundary for you. You can't go there. Remember that all the other cupboards in the house are available to you. You can eat almost anything in this house. Don't eat that. That's bad for you. Everything good. Eat that. Um, you, you know, play. It's playtime. Now, if it's playtime, I'm not going to say, okay, Jacob, 
Now for the next 20 minutes, I want you to play with this. And after that, we're gonna go and play with these trucks and these cars. And then after that, my will is, go play. <laughs> go play, what would you like to play with? Choose this, choose this, choose this, choose, great, lovely. And then tomorrow when it's playtime, you choose something different. Wonderful. Are you flourishing? Yes. Is it the end of playtime now? Yes, it is the end of playtime now because we need to do such and such. I think God guides generally like that. There's so much that he makes available to us. Let's not focus on the, oh my goodness, oh God is a rule maker and a killjoy. And a, no, 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 no. There's, there's some things God has put there for us because there's a new way to live this. There's a way to live this new life. And, and, and those boundaries are there to keep us in that flourishing life-giving space. It's life-giving for me and it's life-giving for you and for one another. So understand what the will of God is. Not sense, perceive like it's sneaky and hidden. No, understand. It requires understanding. I can know this God. I can read his word. I can feel his changing inside of me. Understanding, growing. Understand what the will of God is. So I hope you've heard what I've tried to say and not what I haven't said. I haven't said God doesn't speak. But what I'm trying to say is that by and large, God's will very often is so broad and so open and we have so much space to express that. And we come to verse 18, the third pairing. And this is, this is, a, this is a goodie. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. It's worth acknowledging right here that being filled with the Spirit within Christian circles for the last several hundred years has been a topic that has divided churches, divided denominations. I'm not going to presume to come here and in a couple of minutes, just tell us what it means, what it's like, how it should be interpreted, and that anyone who disagrees with me is wrong. That's not where we're going here. What I would like to say is that it is helpful to interpret scripture with scripture. So there is a time for going to say, well, let's look at what being filled with the Spirit means elsewhere across the scriptures and find a well-balanced understanding. And even then, we're going to find people who will disagree. And perhaps we need to agree to disagree sometimes and respect one another. Let's just have a look at what I think Paul specifically has in mind just for this passage. I think this is helpful. He's contrasting getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, do not get drunk with wines. He doesn't say don't drink wine, first of all. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, debauchery is not one of those words that we use frequently, um, but it is one of those words where people may still understand what you mean. Um, for example, there was a time in my life where I could have used that phrase and people would have known exactly what I was talking about, and that was university days. We could have walked out of a particular place in, in town and... Um, walked out, and if I'd said to someone, wow, that was debaucherous, they would have known exactly what I was talking about. 
As best I understand, the word that Paul uses here is a word to describe having no boundaries. It's boundless. And so getting drunk leads us to a place where there's no inhibitions, no boundaries, and we can just go and do whatever. And he contrasts that with being filled with the Spirit. Now, remember when we used to, if, if, if you've been part of Liberty for longer than uh, a year, um, once a month we would have uh, family Sundays and uh, kids' church, and all the kids um, would come to the front and we'd play two songs. And it was generally fun and, and upbeat and they would dance. And it was, was kind of cool, actually. Miss some of those days. And so we, we sometimes would sing a song about the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and so it, it would go something like, the fruits of the Spirit not a coconut. And they would sing and do actions. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit. And then, of course, they would sing this very, very quickly because it's a tongue twister and that's the fun. And uh, then you would sing all the fruits of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, malice, gentleness, and... Let me slow that down. Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, the, one of the outworkings of living as a new human being with the very life and person of God inside of me, changing me, it gets expressed, it's a fruit, it gets expressed as self-control. Sometimes we, we say things like, come Holy Spirit and take control. I'm not so sure that that is a correct way of looking at things. In fact, very often, as far as I can see it, when we engage with the Holy Spirit, one of the outworkings of that is that I am able to be self-controlled. So it's not taking control of my life, but what that means is I have this old nature, this old part of me that's dead and loves to do things that cause spiritual death and that the old twisted, warped, distorted side of me wants to come up and, and live and with this new life of the Holy Spirit inside of me, I'm able to express self-control and not let that side of me express itself. And so live in the fullness of life of God. That's amazing. So don't get drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. Boundlessness, just running amok, chaos, doing whatever. That's not helpful for life, for expressing your new life, this new human, this new way of being. Rather be filled with the Spirit. So it goes from having no boundaries to having boundaries that keep us in a place of experiencing true freedom. Perhaps we need to have a look at what we mean by freedom. Now, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he mentions four things of what being filled with the Spirit can look like. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, it's the Holy Spirit who's hovering over the waters and brooding like a mother hen resting on her, her eggs to bring life. And it's the Spirit of God who breathes and brings all life into being across uh, the world, all of creation. It's the Holy Spirit who brings life. Now, I am no anthropologist, I am no historian, but as best as I can tell across all cultures around the world for all of known history, singing has been integral to celebration. It's been a core part of celebrating. You want to have a party anywhere, anytime, any culture, music is a part of that. There's something about music and humans and expressing life. But there's interesting thing about music is that it's not just yay where we sing music. It's also in hardship that we express through song. It's, it's love and it's hate and it's sorrow and it's mourning and it's questioning and it's depression and it's, and it's joy and, and all of emotion is able to be expressed and seems to constantly being expressed by humans through song. And so if we look at the natural wiring of humans and the fact that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who brings life, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing Paul goes for here is song. Now, maybe there's some musos over there who are saying, Amen. Um, and there might be some, some people who are like, yeah, me and song, not so much. It's funny, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's the mana who particularly struggle uh, with, with music. Um, the people who struggle with music, in my experience, are often the mana, but maybe that's not fair. But so often it's the mana, when we go to a rugby stadium, who will belt out that national anthem with passion and chius. There's still something stirring about song. And so it is, it should not be a surprise to us that when we are filled with the Spirit, Paul says we should address one another in Psalms. And the Psalms are Spirit-inspired songs recorded and all, all emotions, highs and lows and everything in between being expressed. And so there is a Psalm appropriate for wherever you are at, inspired by God that you are able to take a hold of. And the spirit who breathed those songs into being is able to, in your spirit, connect and work and do something. And so you are able to address one another, speak to one another, encourage one another with these psalms, engage with one another. In psalms, hymns, don't think organ hymns, think spontaneous singing. And songs. Love it. The second one is, so, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The second expression, the second uh, thing he talks about when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So, there's a way that we can engage with one another in this song, singing, deep expression 
the Holy Spirit puts inside of us and then we're able to connect with God, singing to the, making melody to the Lord in your heart. Now you don't have to be a musician over here. Bless him, my best man um, at my wedding. Lovely guy, which is why he was my best man. Um, loved the Lord with all his heart and was passionate for him. Melody was not his strong point. So when it came to Sundays, he was all pumped to sing to the Lord and I would go sing somewhere else, <laughs> a couple of meters away from him. Um, because the melody he created were new melodies with new notes um, that no one else was singing, um, but full passion. And I believe the Lord loved it. And quite frankly, I do love it. Bless him. I just couldn't concentrate. So. Um, I would go and make melody to the Lord in my heart. But it's not just about Sundays. It's not just corporate gatherings, which we're missing. I miss dreadfully. I miss being able to sing together to the Lord. I didn't realize how powerful it was until we had lockdown and we weren't singing together anymore. And man, something that stirs my faith and helps me engage with God in a way that is just lacking. But I nonetheless can still sing and make melody to the Lord in my heart. This is so important that I've actually, granted it's not expensive, but 90 Rand a month in our family budget, we've signed up to an, an online music streaming application and, and that enables us to get whatever music we want. And I get to sing and I listen in my car and I listen at home and I purposefully choose songs that are perhaps a little bit um, easier for my kids to engage with. And it is awesome when I hear my kids just playing or whatever and then they're singing these songs. Now, that's not necessarily because they know those songs and are expressing it from their heart. It's more just it's those catchy tunes that they've got and they're just singing. But I know that those those words and those truths will slowly wash over them. And it may be that there are times where they will express it as well out of genuine sincerity. It's way better than some of the music we can listen to on the radio and when you actually pay attention to what they're singing, do you think the Spirit of God inside of us as new humans is rejoicing, is excited, is happy with what is being sung? And there's a time for music that's just silly and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. But what am, I, what am I allowing into my heart and into my mind, mind that the Holy Spirit can take and use and work to glorify God and help me to connect with Him? Being full of the Spirit, this new life inside of me that I allow to influence me more and more deeply, a natural expression, according to Paul here, is that I will sing and make melody to the Lord the third thing he mentions is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being full of the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in song, making melody to the Lord, being grateful for everything all the time. Right? Gratitude. Gratitude because the Holy Spirit breathed new life into me and so filled me and so influenced me that gratitude overwhelms me. And finally, submitting to one another. 
not because we love them, submitting to one another because they are better than us, submitting to one another because that's the will of the Lord. No, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is reverence? Reverence is, whoa, that is reverence, right? When someone comes into a room and you revere them, what does that look like? I wonder who that would be that would walk into a room and you would revere them. Would that be hushed tones? Would that be standing back and letting them through? Certainly not interrupting them, giving them preference. It would be a sense of they are great. They are great. And therefore I need to respond in a certain way. So out of reverence for Jesus, out of reverence, out of, whoa, Jesus, whoa, submit to one another. We have new life. We're new humans. What does that look like when we are filled with the Spirit, the life-giving Spirit of God? We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What a way to be human. What a community would look like with people singing to one another and singing to God and being grateful all the time for everything and submitting to one another. So when Audrey goes, you know, I really want to do this, but I'm happy, Celia, if we were to do that. Because Jesus is just, so I'm black. It's not about me anymore. And how amazing would it be if Celia was like, oh, that, that's really great. Thank you. And, and, and so I know that you want to do this and, and I would rather do what you want to do. And I'm going to submit and to you and 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 so there's this mutual submission and so when I go to Lynn's and submit to her will and she submits to my will and there's mutual submission see submission is not a swear word it's laying down my desires for someone else letting them be more important than me and then I'm more important than them and then and we don't have to devour one another and fight and kill and covet and we don't get what we want and rah, rah, rah. The gospel of Jesus totally changes the way that we live. And so we were death, but now we are alive. We were in darkness, now we are light. We were far away, we've been brought near. We had no hope, now we have a future. I had nothing in my future, but God included me in his family, and I have all these inheritance, all this promise going forward. I have the very spirit of God living inside of me. He's made me come alive. I'm a new human. What does this look like? How can I be this new human? How can we be these new humans? I love this. I think that this should stir humility in us because I'm not smart enough. It's not, it's not a new way of being human. Like I found a better way to be a human. No, it's, I've been made a new human. I need to live this out. I can't look down at someone and go, oh my gosh, look at those decisions that they're making. What I can say is, oh my gosh, God gave me life. God gave me his spirit. There are people who need life, who need the spirit of God inside of them. And if they're wrestling with something, whom I'm, I'm in the same boat as them. I wrestle with my things. I'm no better than them. Absolute humility and gratitude, the gospel should shape that. So if what you've heard in this message is you just need to be more wise, more understanding, do better, act better. That's not what I've said at all. 
God has totally transformed us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection for us, newness of life made available. We respond in faith and say, God, I give my life to you. And his response is giving new life to us. It's not a ticket into heaven. There's new life. Now it's time to live out that new life. So let us be wise. Not as unwise. Let us live and walk wisely, knowing that the time is short. And the days are evil. Let us live understanding of the will of God. And let us not get drunk with wine leading to debauchery and boundlessness. But let us be filled with the Spirit, dressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to God in our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I think there's three juxtapositions I want to encourage us to look at and engage with one another and engage with God. What does that look like for you? What does living wisely look like for you? What does understanding the will of God look like for you? Not what does it mean to you like it's some subjective thing. I mean practically, how are you going to live that out? And being filled with the Spirit and, and some of those things on what that sort of Paul has in mind. What does that look like? What does that look like for you? How can you engage with God in the days and weeks ahead? So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Liberty Family Church. I thank you for every person who's listened to this message, wherever and whenever they may be doing so. Holy Spirit, please speak deeply into our hearts. Help us to live this new life that you've given us. Worshipping you, being grateful, submitting to one another, all these things that you have mentioned. Please help us now as we talk about these things and pray about these things. Help us to come back to your word and to read over it again and to check. Is this right? Is this what it says? What does this mean? How do I do this? I don't understand this. God, please help me. Help me. Help all of us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Liberty. I hope that you have a wonderful day and wonderful discussions about this going forward. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. God bless.